We're going to be in Mark chapter 5 this morning. We're going to pick it up in verse 21, a story that you're very familiar with. And I'm going to ask the same thing we've been asking the last couple of weeks. One, I want you to make personal application just to your own life as the Spirit would minister to you and speak to you this morning. But also we're going to have a, a little kind of a corporate application as well uh, as we continue to push for our launch date here in a few weeks uh, just to be sure that, that uh, we're in the right place as a, as a corporate congregation heading the right way. <clears throat> so let's look at the story. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So you get the context. Just before in chapter 5, he's on the other side. He's healed a demon-possessed man. If you remember the story, he throws or he casts the demons into the herd of pigs. The pigs go off the cliff and, and die. And so everybody in the community is asking Jesus to leave. The, leave. <laughs> the pleading, the scripture says, pleading with Jesus to leave. This is just a footnote. It's never a good thing to ask Jesus to leave your presence, just for the record. Let's pick up the story. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and it's been all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? This is just another footnote. It's just interesting how the disciples just, it took them so long <laughs> to get it, you know, how Jesus would realize this. But then I look at my own self and say, I can't condemn the disciples. You know, how long does it take me to get stuff, you know? Verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. Trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So here's the scene. Jesus is on his way to Jairus' daughter to take care of that situation. And this huge crowd is pressing in against him. So if you will, a big corporate gathering taking place at that point, listening to Jesus. So this woman comes is desperate, so she touches the hem of the garment. Jesus realizes that. She's healed. But then Jesus takes initiative and wants to have an encounter and a conversation and some interaction with this woman. So they have that interaction, and finally Jesus says, well, your faith has been healed. And then a great statement, be freed from your suffering. So I want to take just a moment, just kind of examine this woman. Just take a look at her situation and what's going on in the story. Verse 25 says she's been bleeding for 12 years. Verse 26 says that she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Luke and Matthew both have this same story. And in Luke chapter 8, of uh, this part, it says that no one was able to heal her. So this woman's been going for 12 years from doctor to doctor to doctor to doctor, from remedy to remedy to treatment to treatment, trying to figure out what's wrong, some kind of healing. Nothing's happening. Uh, there's a book called The 
Talmud, some call it the Talmud, but it's a, it's a, a Jewish body of work that has civil and canonical law in it. And in that book are some medical treatments and remedies for a variety of, of conditions that would be what these Jewish people would try. And so some of these remedies would be the remedies that she would have tried in that day. And I can guarantee you for 12 years with the suffering, I, I guarantee she had gone through every one of those treatments. Here are, here are some examples of those treatments, if you're curious. One was to drink a goblet of wine mixed with powder compounded by rubber and herbs. So basically, get a piece of a tire, grind it up in a powder, put some basil on it, throw it in some wine, and take a drink. That was one of the treatments. Another was to eat Persian onions. Yeah, my <laughs> suit would do it. Eat Persian on onions cooked in wine and then say, arise out of your flow of blood. So basically, in my mind, it's like an incantation almost. Another was what they'd call a sudden shock. They'd have the person sit in the middle of a road, and then they wait for something really dangerous or scary to happen, and they get this sudden shock. You know, it's kind of like when you have the hiccups, and somebody goes, hey! Yeah. <laughs> and scares you. That's, that was the idea. This sudden shock would just, would just cure whatever's going on. Another one was uh, to carry ash of an ostrich egg in a special cloth and just carry it around with you. I don't know if there was some thought to be some healing. Now, my point's not to, you know, to talk about the treatments of that day. The point here is she had tried everything. She had spent everything. Verse 26 says she had spent all that she had. So she had spent 12 years no cure, all of her money spent, and what's worse is the scripture says she's worse. She hasn't gotten better, she's gotten worse in the midst of all this. So we get to verse 27, and now we see that this woman says, I'm going to touch Jesus. I've tried everything, I've tried everything else. I've been hearing about this person named Jesus, so I'm going to go, if I can just touch his clothes, then I can be healed. Now what's interesting about this woman is, She's probably heard stuff. Jesus had been around doing some work and traveling and speaking. So I'm sure she had heard what's going on. Jesus had healed people, etc. But she had no real theological understanding. She didn't understand who Jesus was. She didn't understand that he was the God-man. She just knew that she'd been hearing and seeing and experiencing. So that's my only hope. I've tried everything else. So I'm going to try and turn to Jesus. So she does. She's healed. And there's a great principle right here, number one principle for us, and that is that Jesus has the power to do in us what no one else and nothing else can do. And we may not have the same need as this woman, but a person that has need, he's the only one that can do what other people can't do. But in this woman, here's what we see. I see two things. I see a desperation and a determination. We see that in verse 26 and verse 27. She was desperate. She had done everything she can. She tried everything she tried for 12 years. Just imagine suffering from this condition. We don't know exactly what the condition is, but just imagine having that condition for 12 years. Done every doctor. Now you're broke. <laughs> you spent all your money, and you're worse. There was a desperation in her spirit and in her life to have Jesus do something in, his, in her life, and that led to determination. You have to remember, there was a big crowd gathered around Jesus. The passage said they were, they were pressing around. It'd kind of be like going to some big concert or some, something you're trying to, you know, 
fight your way up to the front. Nobody's going to let you in because everybody else wants in the front. That's what's taking place. This big, huge crowd is gathering around Jesus. Most of them probably men. And here's this lady that because she's suffering, you know she's probably frail and weak and tired. And so she's so determined to touch Jesus that she fights through this mass of people, mostly men, risking humiliation, rejection, condemnation, all other kind of stuff to get there and touch Jesus. So she had a desperation and she had a determination. Because of that, she was healed. So let's take a second now and let's look at the crowd. Talk about the crowd. When I read through this passage and I see the crowd, there's just one thing that comes to mind that I notice. They were there. (laughs) That's about it. They were there. But I don't see anybody in the crowd interacting with Jesus. I don't see anybody in the crowd reaching out to try to touch Jesus. They're there. So the woman's desperate and determined. She's the one's healed. The crowd's there, but you don't really hear anything happening in their life. As I look at the contrast, there are four word pictures that just kind of came to my mind. Really saying the same thing. But four different ways. So I want to throw these out to you. Four different ways. Saying the same thing. Maybe one of them will connect a little bit more strongly than one of the others. So here's the first contrast that I noticed. There's a difference in being in God's vicinity and being in God's presence. It's a big difference. In the mid-70s, my dad was traveling and he, and he went to Phoenix on a business trip. And um, he was a big Bill Walton fan. He had, he had seen Bill Walton play on TV. He'd actually seen a live game. Well, Dad's in the elevator at this hotel, and who comes in the elevator but Bill Walton? Portland's playing Phoenix, and Dad's staying in the same hotel as the team is staying in. So Dad's in this elevator, and now here's Bill Walton. I would say standing shoulder to shoulder, but it's more like shoulder to belly button. But he said two things about Bill Walton. He said, number one, man, he's big. I didn't realize he was that big. He looks a lot bigger in person than he does, you know, when you're looking down there on the, on the court. But he also said, he's the nicest guy. He, is, he was so friendly and so warm and so genuine. And he, he was just amazed that being around him that close, there's a big difference to my dad seeing him right here face-to-face versus out there. In the mid-'90s, uh, Denise and I had gone to Fellowship uh, Church in Las Colinas. Since before they had purchased big property, they were still kind of in some rented space. We're taking the boys, boys were real little, so we're taking them to children's church. And so we're walking through the hallways, and, you know, it's just a lot of people, and you're just running into people. Well, Denise runs into this guy, and so, or the guy runs into her, I don't know which one happened, but they run into each other, so they kind of back off where they're both going to say, you know, I'm sorry, or whatever, and it looks up, and it's Troy Aikman. <laughs> so I think Denise hit Troy Aikman that year harder than anybody else did, I don't know. <laughs> but she said the same thing about Troy, that, man, he's so much bigger in person, you know, than, than you think. There's a difference in being in the vicinity and being in the presence. The crowd was in the vicinity of Jesus. But at the same time, they were still so far away from him. A little over a year ago, we were driving to Fort Worth. My dad was in the hospital in Fort Worth, so we were going to to see him. And it was downtown Fort Worth. We did Google Maps so we we could see see where the hospital was. (coughs) Get there within... I don't know, a quarter mile. I mean, it felt like I could throw something at it and hit the hospital. It's right there. But when we got close to it, there's road construction everywhere. So we keep trying to get rerouted with our maps. And so we'd reroute. The reroute would be congested with, with 
uh, construction. So we spent probably 15 or 20 minutes just trying to circle the hospital. We're right there at the hospital, so close to the hospital, but we can't get there. So at the same time that we're so close, we're so far away and so disconnected. Here's what I see with the crowd. They're right there with Jesus, but at the same time, they are so disconnected and so far away. Nothing really taking place. What we see here is that the crowd's hanging around Jesus, but the woman's trying to hang on to Jesus. The crowd's gathered around Jesus, but the woman's grabbing hold of Jesus. And Jesus is the one, I mean, the woman's the one that was touched. Remember we talked a little bit last week, Psalm 27, when David said, There's one thing that I desire, one thing I ask of the Lord, and that's to be in the presence of God. There's a big difference in being in his presence. And here's a point I want to make out of this for us. May we never be satisfied with close enough. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, may we never be satisfied with close enough. Yeah, I've spent enough time with him. Okay. Yeah, I'm walking close enough. Yeah, he's, I've let him deal with enough things in my life. <laughs> I don't need to get any closer. I'm good. May we never become content in that walk and in that relationship. May we never be satisfied with close enough. Here's a second contrast, though. Same thing, just said a different way. There's a difference in pressing in and reaching out. Here we see the crowd. And when I think of the crowd, I see them being gathered around so they could hear and that they could see what he's doing. They wanted to be close enough, press in close enough, so they could kind of check out what's going on. They had a curiosity. They had an interest. But the woman was the only one that was so desperate at that point that she's going to reach out and touch. There's a difference in being pressed in. I'm going to stretch Scripture a little bit here, okay? So just kind of hang with me. I'm just my imagination. This isn't truth. It's not in the, in the Word. But I think with the crowd, I think they all left that day having a, a great experience. I thought they had, a, they probably all had a good time. They had this cool corporate gathering. They got to hear Jesus talk. They got to see Jesus do, you know, a miracle with this woman. They got to kind of hang out. I think they all left saying, man, that was really fun. That was, that, I'm glad I came. I'm glad I got to do that. But the woman was the only one that left with her life changed, with a life-altering encounter that when she left, there was something different in her and about her because of that experience. The crowd had a good time, but they left just the same. There's a difference pressing in and reaching out. Let me say it a third way. There's a difference in being charmed and being changed. I did a little, little research on snake charmers and realized at one point there were like millions of a snake charmers. It was the thing to do in certain parts of the world to be a snake charmer. But for some reason, I, nobody wants to be snake charmers anymore. So they said there's, a, there's a, a, a lack of snake charmers in the world now. But come to find out, there's still about a million of them. <laughs> to me, that's a lot of snake charmers. I used to be pretty intrigued and impressed with snake charmers until I learned that they really have some tricks. So it's not quite as impressive. The way they train or these snakes is... When, they, when they're first teaching the snake to charm, they use these real hard gourds and put in front of the snake. So if the snake decides to, to, to strike, 
they strike this gourd. And when they strike the gourd, it's so hard that it hurts the snake. So eventually the snake says, hey, that hurts. I'm not doing that anymore. So they quit striking the gourd. So they quit striking. They also choose the least aggressive snakes as possible. And they also know when, you know, once the snake kind of comes up and part of its head and body are up, that they know that from that position, they can only strike so far of a distance. And so they know what that distance is, so they just kind of stay back away from that distance. So even if the snake would strike, it's not going not to hit them. So it's not quite as dangerous as it appears. But once they start to charm the snake, the snake is charmed by, by really two stimuli. One is the music. But the other is the motion and the swing. That's why when you see most of these charmers when they're playing, they're, they're usually doing this. Because once that snake comes up, they are responding to the music. But they're also responding to that motion. And so they kind of get in this little, this little trance, you know, kind of deal. So as long as the stimuli is in process, they're going to respond to it. But as soon as the stimuli stops, they stop and they just go slither back down in their box. Charmer puts the lid on the box. And the snake just sits there doing nothing until the charmer decides, hey, let's do this again. Takes the lid off, starts the stimuli, so the snake comes back up. And now they're charmed again. The snake is doing his dance until the stimuli stops and the snake is back. And just repeat, 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 repeat. I kind of see this image with the crowd. Because everywhere Jesus went early on in his ministry, there was a crowd. And so it's almost like... Hey, Jesus is going to provide some stimuli. He's going to do some really cool things. So let's respond to that and let's kind of do that dance. Let's have this good time. But as soon as Jesus stopped the stimuli, it was kind of okay. We'll just kind of go back to our daily routine. No change, no difference. Just kind of do our deal. Until Jesus comes back on the scene, then we can come back and we can gather and we can respond to the stimuli again until he's done. And then just repeat, repeat, repeat and nothing happening. I wonder today how many followers or how many just people in general in in their christian experience it's basically all they're doing is responding to some stimuli they're just being charmed they'll come to a corporate gathering they'll hear some really cool music they'll hear some really cool talking they get to kind of hang out they get to kind of have a good time as long as there's some stimuli going hey yeah we'll dance and we'll praise and but then once the stimuli stops they just kind of go back into their own world and their own routine not changed, not touched, nothing different, just kind of in their box with the lid on it until it's time to come back and gather again. And hey, here comes the stimuli. So now we're charmed again and we can respond to the stimuli until it stops. And it's just repeat, repeat, repeat. But there's nothing going on in between. There's nothing happening in their heart and in their life in between. There's a difference in being charmed being changed here's the fourth one there's a difference in being in church and having church there's a difference in being in an event at an event and something truly being eventful in my life so what's the difference what makes church come alive what makes church happen? There's probably a lot of things, but one thing I see in Scripture is when a lot of people come to the table desperate and determined to encounter God. 
Not like the crowd who just wants to show up, but like this woman who is so desperate and so determined that a group of people come together desperate to hear God, desperate to have God do something in my life, desperate to see God move in me, determined that I'm going to come, I'm coming expecting, I'm coming anticipating, I'm coming knowing that God's going to speak to me and God's going to meet me here, God's going to do something and I need him to do something in my life. So when I come here, I'm coming with the expectation of God, I need you to touch me today. And when a host of people come to the table and come to the gathering with that type of desperation and determination, I guarantee you church happens. Here's the paradox a little bit. We're all desperate for Christ. (laughs) We just don't all know it. The crowd was just as desperate for a touch of Jesus that day as the woman was. They just didn't realize it. And so they never reached out and asked for it. Therefore, they never received it. We're all desperate for Christ. We're all in need. For Christ to work in us and to move in us, to continue to change us and to convict us and to comfort us and all that he wants to do in us. The difference is, do we realize it? And will we reach out and say, God, I'm desperate for you to do a work in my life. The little paradox with this woman, she's reaching out to Jesus, but she's the one that ends up being touched by Jesus. And here's a great principle for us. When we take our need to Jesus, he meets us right at that point of need. Whatever that need is, because we may have needs in this room, and I don't know what your situation is here. I know we're talking about this is a core group, and we're preparing to launch to reach people, and so we've got it all together, and we're perfect spiritually, right? (laughs) No. That doesn't mean that at all. It just means that we sense a desperation. We sense a dirt. We want God to move. That's why we, we, we want to be part of something new. That's why we're here to pray this through. But it doesn't mean you don't have a point of need this morning. And the reality is if you have a point of need this morning, if you'll reach out to him, he will meet you right at that point of need and make a difference. When I read through some of the Gospels, I see some other types of touches. You know, this woman was touched physically to healing. But there are other types of of touches in the word. Maybe one of them is for you this morning. Matthew 8, we see a cleansing touch. It says that Jesus touched the man and said, be clean. Is that a touch you need this morning? Have you gotten really comfortable with harboring sin in your heart, in your life? It's okay that you think this one God's going to allow Maybe you need a cleansing touch this morning where you can come back to say, God, I I confess this sin. I no longer want to let this sin reign in my life. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And he'll cleanse us from all of that unrighteousness. Matthew chapter 9 talks about an illuminating touch. It said Jesus touched his eyes and his sight was restored. Do you need your sight restored this morning? Do you need some clear vision you need some clear direction? Are you trying to make a decision somehow and you need what's God saying, what's God's path? Do you need some wisdom this morning or something? God will illuminate that. Matthew 17 speaks of a reassuring touch. 
that Jesus touched them and said, don't be afraid. And this is a picture of the disciples. They'd actually gotten so fear of something that had happened. They'd just fallen, fallen face down in the, on the, in the ground. They were terrified. So Jesus had to come to them and say, hey, don't be afraid. Do you need Jesus to say that to you this morning? Has fear kind of gripped you? Anxiety gripped you? Do you need that reassuring touch? Don't be afraid. He can replace that fear with the peace that passes all understanding. His perfect love will cast out that fear. You need that touch this morning. Mark 7 talks about a liberating touch. That he touched his tongue and it was loosed. It was set free. You need to be set free from something today. Something got you in its grip and bondage. You're held captive by whatever this thing may be. And you need to be set free. You need to be loosed. You can experience that liberating touch from Christ. There are three takeaways from this passage. To to be honest, I wasn't real sure why God was kind of leading me to this passage. I was trying to do other things, and he just kind of kept drawing me back to this passage. So I hope the word's for you. But in, in the midst of this, there were three takeaways that jumped out at me that I want to finish out with you guys this morning from this passage. First one is if you're suffering, Jesus will meet you there and he'll say the same thing to you he said to the woman, be freed from your suffering. I don't know what your situation is this morning, but if you're suffering, I I plead with you to reach out and let Jesus touch you at that point of suffering. But a bigger picture is out in our city and out in our community, there are thousands of people suffering from all kinds of things, from addictions, from loneliness, from life just throwing mud in their face. All kinds of issues going on. They are suffering in all kinds of ways. And I believe without any doubt that God wants to use us to help minister to those people and help them in their suffering. Second takeaway. When we live with a sense of desperation and determination, things happen. It's unexplainable. It's a supernatural, Holy Spirit-driven thing that happens when we come with our face down in the dirt, so to speak, with our hearts wide open, saying, God, I'm desperate for you. I want to know you. I'm not satisfied with close enough. I want to know you in all of your fullness and all of your glory. I want you to do a work in me to continue to change me. When we come with that type of desperation, personally and corporately, God shows up and does some amazing things that are unexplained. Here's the final one. And this is a corporate issue for us with River Fellowship. The win for River Fellowship. The win River Fellowship is not a big crowd. It's changed lives. Jesus had the big crowds. But if you look at his ministry, he began to say some things with the crowd said, mm, no. Jesus didn't care about the big crowds. He cared about the individual people and the changed lives. And at River Fellowship, that's the win. If God brings a lot of people, praise the Lord, it's going to be for his glory. But the win is not the crowd. The win has changed lives. 
We want to see those who are unengaged, who are disengaged, those who don't know Christ, those who have no relationship with Christ, come into relationship with Christ, those that have bailed out in their walk with Christ to come back in and reignite that walk with Christ. Those who have never had a daily walk, a devotion where they're really seeking to walk with God daily, we want to see those become uh, people that are now experiencing those walks. We want to see relationships restored. We, we want to see lives changed and altered. That's the win for us. Amen? Amen.